Book Two, Chapter Sixteen of On the Education of an Orator by Quintilian, translated by H. E. Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen. There follows the question as to whether rhetoric is useful. Some are in the habit of denouncing it most violently and of shamelessly employing the powers of oratory to accuse oratory itself. It is eloquence, they say, that snatches criminals from the penalties of the law. Eloquence that, from time to time, secures the condemnation of the innocent and leads deliberation astray. Eloquence that stirs up not merely sedition and popular tumult, but wars beyond all expiation, and that is most effective when it makes falsehood prevail over the truth. The comic poets even accuse Socrates of teaching how to make the worse cause seem the better, while Plato says that Gorgias and Tisias made similar professions. And to these they add further examples drawn from the history of Rome and Greece, enumerating all those who used their pernicious eloquence, not merely against individuals, but against whole states, and threw an ordered commonwealth into a state of turmoil, or even brought it to utter ruin. And they point out that for this very reason rhetoric was banished from Sparta, while its powers were cut down at Athens itself by the fact that an orator was forbidden to stir the passions of his audience. On the showing of these critics, not only orators, but generals, magistrates, medicine and philosophy will all be useless. For Flaminius was a general, while men such as the Gracchi, Saturninus and Glossia were magistrates. Doctors have been caught using poisons, and those who falsely assume the name of philosopher have occasionally been detected in the gravest crimes. Let us give up eating, it often makes us ill. Let us never go inside houses, for sometimes they collapse on their occupants. Let never a sword be forged for a soldier, since it might be used by a robber. And who does not realize that fire and water, both necessities of life, and to leave merely earthly things, even the sun and moon, the greatest of the heavenly bodies, are occasionally capable of doing harm? On the other hand, will it be denied that it was by his gift of speech that Appius the blind broke off the dishonorable peace which was on the point of being concluded with Pyrrhus? Did not the divine eloquence of Cicero win popular applause even when he denounced the agrarian laws? Did it not crush the audacious plots of Catiline, and win, while he still wore the garb of civil life, the highest honor that can be conferred on a victorious general, a public thanksgiving to heaven. Has not oratory often revived the courage of a panic-stricken army, and persuaded the soldier, faced by all the perils of war, that glory is a fairer thing than life itself? Nor shall the history of Sparta and Athens move me more than that of the Roman people, who have always held the orator in highest honor. Never, in my opinion, would the founders of cities have induced their unsettled multitudes to form communities, 
had they not moved them by the magic of their eloquence. Never, without the highest gifts of oratory, would the great legislators have constrained mankind to submit themselves to the yoke of law. Nay, even the principles which should guide our life, however fair they may be by nature, yet have greater power to mould the mind to virtue, when the beauty of things is illumined by the splendour of eloquence. Wherefore, although the weapons of oratory may be used either for good or ill, it is unfair to regard that as an evil which can be employed for good. These problems, however, may be left to those who hold that rhetoric is the power to persuade. If our definition of rhetoric as the science of speaking well implies that an orator must be a good man, there can be no doubt about its usefulness. And in truth that God, who was in the beginning the father of all things and the architect of the universe, distinguished men from all other living creatures that are subject to death by nothing more than this, that he gave him the gift of speech. For as regard physical bulk, strength, robustness, endurance, or speed, man is surpassed in certain cases by dumb beasts, who also are far more independent of external assistance. They know by instinct, without need of any teacher, how to move rapidly, to feed themselves and swim. Many too have their bodies clothed against cold, possess natural weapons, and have not to search for their food, whereas in all these respects men's life is full of toil. Reason, then, was the greatest gift of the Almighty, who willed that we should share its possession with the immortal gods. But reason by itself would help us but little, and would be far less evident in us, had we not the power to express our thoughts in speech, for it is the lack of this power, rather than thought and understanding, which they do to a certain exercise possess, that is the great defect in other living things. The construction of a soft lair, the weaving of nests, the hatching and rearing of their young, and even the storing up of food for the coming winter, together with certain other achievements which we cannot imitate, such as the making of honey and wax, all these perhaps indicate the possession of a certain degree of reason. But since the creatures that do these things lack the gift of speech, they are called dumb and unreasoning beasts. Finally, how little the heavenly boon of reason avails those who are born dumb! If therefore we have received no fairer gift from heaven than speech, what shall we regard as so worthy of laborious cultivation? Or in what should we sooner desire to excel our fellow men than that in which mankind excels all other living things? And we should be all at more eager to do so, since there is no art which yields a more grateful recompense for the labor bestowed upon it. This will be abundantly clear if we consider the origins of oratory and the progress it has made, and it is capable of advancing still further. I will not stop to point out how useful and how becoming a task it is for a good man to defend his friends, to guide the senate by his counsels, 
and to lead peoples or armies to follow his bidding. I merely ask, is it not a noble thing, by employing the understanding which is common to mankind, and the words that are used by all, to win such honor and glory that you seem not to speak or plead, but rather, as was said of Pericles, to thunder and lighten. End of chapter 16